Ray, good to see you. Did you guys see Ray's back? Just for one week. It's good to see him. Um, <laughs> has life turned out the way you thought? <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> life, maybe for, uh, yeah, maybe it's for some, some people that are still, you know, maybe in their teens, right? You know I mean, <laughs> life is exactly like I thought it was going to be. What are you talking about? It's great. Uh, yeah, life is kind of weird that way. I, I, I know for me, like, uh, especially in regards to my call, uh, you know, I, I think I've shared a little bit about this in the past, but, you know, when I was uh, 15, 16 years old, the Lord kind of shows up and says, hey, you know, you're the guy. I want you to prepare and be ready. I want you to consider and think about, are you willing to accept the call into ministry, right? And, and, and you know, we all have calls. I mean, you don't have to just be a pastor to have a God call you to something, right? And I think all of us are, are called to something. And if we're not seeing that, we need to be aware, seek Jesus in that. Like, God, what is, what is the thing you've called me to, right? But, but anyway, in my ministry, that was like a big deal. Like, I'm a teenager. I'm pretty excited. Pretty fired up that God's speaking, right? And one of the first few times that God actually was speaking to me in a way, and I was just like, oh, this is awesome, right? And I'm super excited. So called the ministry. Yeah, all right, what's that gonna be, right? I had no idea, like, okay, does that mean I'm gonna be a missionary, right? You know, or you know what? You know, I'm gonna be a pastor, maybe, who knows, right? And so next couple years in, in uh, my high school years, I was you know a, a sophomore at that time, so junior and senior year, uh, our church went on a mission trip to Mexico both years and went on that mission trip with the mindset, okay, God. You called me to ministry is like missions where you want me to go. Am I going to be a missionary the rest of my life, right? Uh, and, uh, and so went to those two and came back and like, nope, no, it's not missionary. And really felt really clear. Like God was like, no, I, I, I've not placed in you a passion for other cultures. I've placed in you a passion and a heart for the church in America. And so that was a profound moment as well. And I remember all around that and what was going on. And it's a pretty sweet story. But so then I was like, okay, now, you know, it's my senior year, into my senior year. You know, I'm like, I know that I'm going to be a pastor. And so I know what, you know, what the future holds, right? So I, I all figured it out. I'm going to go to, you know, Bible college or, you know, get into seminary, whatever. We're going to get trained up. And by the time I'm 22, 23 years old, I'm going to be, you know, a pastor in a church and be a youth pastor probably to start you know, but, you know, eventually get in, you know, maybe be the lead guy, you know, and all this kind of stuff, right? It's kind of my vision of what it's going to be like. And a little bit, of, you know, I was, a, I told you before, I'm a bit of a Jesus freak, you know, in high school, like, and just doing all, I mean, just everybody knew I was a Christian, right? I mean, you just didn't have to have much of a conversation with me. You just knew, like, uh, it might've been the big, huge cross. I had, no, I, not really. But anyway, so like, I was just like, in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to do amazing things for God. He's going to just like, this is going to be just, like, cool. I, I really picked well this time, right? You know, this kind of thing. And, and I had it all laid out, right? You know, after I get done with school, I'm in a pastorate, you know, and then maybe in school I'll find some sweet chick, you know, we'll get married, you know, it'll be awesome, right? Have kids and have, you know, like five or six kids. And, you know, you, you lay it out, right? Uh, and it didn't turn out that way, right? It, it, do, have you done that? Like, do you remember that, right? You remember those times you're like, ah, this is where it's going to go. And then it doesn't turn out the way you thought. And I remember uh, there was a couple of times, uh, just within a couple of years of that sweet moment of knowing that God has called me into the pastorate, uh, that, that were really, really like, wait a second, this is not going the way I had imagined it in my mind. 
uh, and things, you know, uh, sin. We talked about sin last week. We don't have to talk about sin again this week. It's going to be great. Everything is okay. Just relax. It's okay. Um, but, you know, sin you know, kind of entered into my life and kind of just threw things kind of sideways and, and, and trying to figure out where God was and what he was doing and, and beginning to even doubt, you know, like, is this really what you have for me? Right? What, what's going on? Right? And, uh, <laughs> you know, we see this throughout Scripture. And, and our story this morning in Genesis 39 is Joseph's story, right? I, I mean, think about it. I mean, we kind of talked about this last week and from a sin perspective. But think about it. He's 17 years old, right? 17 years old. He's been brought up and raised in this family where his dad was the youngest, but was the promised son, right? I mean, like he gets all of this blessing. He's seen already what God has been doing in Jacob's life, his dad's life, right? I mean, there's been some amazing things going on. And then he's the youngest. And like, he knows, like, I'm the youngest, like, just like my dad, I'm the youngest, right? And and then he has these dreams, right? Dreams that his brothers All of his older brothers are going to be bowing down to him. Even his mom and dad are going to be bowing down to him. So again, imagine like the vision, like the excitement, like, oh my gosh, God's picked me. Like, and you can imagine in his mind, like just extrapolating this out. Oh my gosh, it's going to be great. I'm 17. Hey, I got to go tell my brothers. Hey brothers, guess what? That's right. You're going to be bowing down to me someday. It's going to be amazing. God has chosen me. Woohoo. Right. And they're kind of not happy about that, but you can imagine the vision, right? That he's like, okay, yeah, so that means, you know, I'm going to go out and care for my brothers. I'm gonna be, it's going to be good, you know. And, I, and then after that, I, you know, I'm going to maybe learn some more about leadership from my dad. And, and he's going to teach me some great things. And then, then I'm going to follow. God's going to speak to me. And he's going to give me this real cool promise and real thing or whatever. And I'm going to go and do those things. And, and, and eventually, like, I'm going to, you know, I don't know, maybe by the time I'm 25, right, I'll be in charge. And my and these dreams will come true. And, and I'll be able to lead my family into the promised land. It's going to be awesome. But it doesn't turn out that way, right? So all of this is going on in 17, and you got when he's 17 years old, and, and you got to think that this is, I, you got to imagine the dreams. You got to imagine that he's extrapolating this out. He knows what's coming. He's like, this is going to happen. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and then God's going to show up here, and I'm going to do great things for the kingdom. It's going to be awesome. And then chapter 37, right? Shows up to his brothers. They throw him in a pit. And then they sell him. (laughs) Sell him into slavery. Like that was not part of the plan. Like right away, like something has changed. Something has, is not going the way I thought. But maybe even then he was like, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe this has kind of got to work in this, you know? And then he ends up in chapter 39. Let's read chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt in Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. An Egyptian had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he, had ma- he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. 
The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master has no, because me, of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in, char- in my charge. He is no, not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, He would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be even with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me! But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. When life doesn't turn out the way we expected, and sometimes it's big picture life. God's called you to something. It's like it's a big thing, like this is where I'm going in my whole life. Or it can be small things. Change maybe, you know, locations of where you live in. Maybe just move to a different neighborhood. Maybe it can be, you know, just smaller decisions that you make. Do you feel like God showed up and he said, yeah, this is what you need to do. But in those times when it doesn't turn out the way we thought it would, there's a tendency, I think, within us to immediately jump into doubt. And, and it's doubt in two ways. The first kind of doubt I think that we see is, is a doubt in God's goodness and love. Like we, we doubt God's character. Like, 
Wait a second, I, I stepped out in faith to do your thing, you know, that you've called me to, and then I get here, and it's like, it's all falling apart. Like, my family is falling apart, like, my friendships are falling apart. Well, this thing that I'm doing, I'm finding no success, and it is just failing. Why? I mean, I, I imagine, like, uh, sometimes I've thought about this, like, a pastor. Like, you walk into as a pastor of a church. Like, you feel like God's called you to go to that church. You get there, and then, for whatever reason, it ends up falling and failing and closing its doors. I mean, it, no pastor ever wants to say, hey, I want to be a part of a church that's failing, right? I know no pastor wants to be a part hey, I was, I, I've closed actually three churches so far. I'm doing pretty well, I think, right? <laughs> right? I mean, like, no way, right? You wouldn't want that. You wouldn't think that. But what do you do if that happens? God's called you to that church. God's called you to this place in your life, wherever it is. You feel like he's the one who's led you to this spot, yet then all of a sudden everything falls apart. What do we do? We oftentimes can doubt his actual love for us. Like he's just playing some sick game. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> I'm going to tell him to go this way. Then he's going to go this. It's going to blow up in his face. It's so fun. I love it. Right? This is not God, but this is, we can start doubting, right? We can start doubting who God is, the character, that he is good. Wait a second, God, if you're good, then why when I followed you, did you not bless me? Why when I followed you, am I experiencing all this pain and suffering and, and, and failure? Another form of doubt, I think, that comes, and this is the one that really hit me uh, in my uh, early 20s. Actually, it was not even my, well, through early 20s through early 30s, was the doubt of that, that God actually spoke. Um, it's unfortunate. We've got too many, I think, in our world that, that have got this triumphalistic perspective of God's will, that every time he calls us to something, that it's going to be something amazing and awesome and beautiful in a tangible perspective. But we have a tendency to doubt, I know for me, and I've, I think, shared this story a little bit before, but, you know, my, my, my path to ministry was a little bit different. I ended up doing, you know, about seven or eight years of bivocational ministry worked in the grocery business for 17 years, like, what? Like, that's almost like a career, like, a, 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 what? But anyway, so I did that, but I remember I got done with this season where, like, God had called me to go back to school full-time, get this done, I'd do it in four years, and it was hard, it was horrible, so much of it was painful and difficult, but God blessed us in the midst of it, and we get to the end of this, and I'm like, yes, I'm done with my education, I'm done with my schooling, I finally fulfill God's call in my life to be this pastor, and nothing. In two years, send out resumes, and I get feedback the first couple, but then after that, it's like not, I don't even get interviews. And so I began to doubt. I mean, I was just a teenager, God. I mean, I, maybe I just, you know, I don't, I don't know. I made it up in my mind that you were calling me to ministry. That, ah, that's, you know, whatever, right? We doubt that he actually spoke because things haven't turned out the way that we thought it was going to turn out. I think we need to understand, though, while, while doubt is natural and in it of itself is not sin, doubt is a really dangerous place to be. Genesis 3, you remember the story, Adam and Eve. How did that sin begin? By the serpent saying, did God really say? 
not to eat of any of the trees in the garden. Started with trying to place a seed of doubt. Doubt about the character of God. Doubt about the voice of God. James 1 tells us that doubt is something to be careful with, that we should ask God. You know, if we're lacking wisdom, we ask God, but we ask and don't doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed, unstable in all that we do. A person in the moment, a Christian in the moment of doubt is unstable. Waffling back and forth, what is real, what is not? I don't know. Is God really who he said he is? Is God the one who really spoke? Did I hear him right? So doubt in itself is not sin, but I think we need to be very careful with doubt. We need to recognize when doubt comes, and we need to figure out how to deal with it. The reality is, and this is the truth of Scripture, is that God wants us to know. He wants us to know without a shadow of a doubt He wants us to know and trust that He loves us and that He's with us. I mean, throughout Scripture, we see this spoken over and over again. Here we see it in this chapter. How many times did I read, like four or five times, God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph, even though he's in this crazy slavery situation. God is with him and blessing him. He gets then thrown into jail over a false accusation, and God is with him and expressing his love to him in the midst of a jail cell. God desires for us to know that he loves us and that he is with us. Moses right? Moses, he, he's like, wait a second, you know, wh- wh- what are you doing, burning bush God, right? I mean, wh- wh- what are you calling me to? And what does God say from the burning bush? Moses, you're going to go and do these things, but understand this, I am going with you. Later on in Exodus 33, Moses is having this conversation with God, and God says, all right, you guys are going to go. And Moses says, wait, 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 I'm not going nowhere unless you go with me. So we have this reality, Joshua 1.9, we read this, you know, be strong and courageous. Why? Because I am with you. We're almost, yeah, adversity training, exactly. Almost to Christmas, we can't get there yet because it's just not right, right? We got to get through Halloween first and then we can talk about Christmas. But Matthew 1, right? Who is in the womb of the virgin? Emmanuel, God with us. God wants us to know, and so throughout Scripture, over and over and over again, He is saying this to the people in this time, but also recording it so that we can read it and know that God loves us and is with us every step of the way, every aspect of life. And understand that it's not just something that's communicated in Scripture, but I believe that it's something He communicates to us personally. Do you know the love of God? Not just here, but here. Do you know that God loves you? I remember the time when I went on a, on a solitude weekend and I had all these things I wanted God to do for me and say to me, and he didn't say any of them. But the one thing he did say in a moment of silence in his word at late at night, way too late, he whispers these words to me, Sean, I love you. Amen. And that's enough. Amen. 
Do you know the presence of God? Do you sense him with you? I remember in my four months before I came here and after I was done at my previous church, at the beginning of that, having no idea what I was going to do next. I was like, God, all right, I feel like you're calling me to lead pastor, but it doesn't look like any churches want me as their lead pastor. I don't know how you're going to figure this out, but I don't have a job. What am I going to do? And yet I felt peace. I knew he was with me. Do you know he's with you? Have you felt it? Have you experienced it? It is something that is truth. It's written down. We need to know it here, but we also need to know it here. And this is what God wants. He doesn't want us to doubt. He doesn't want us to be wondering, oh, is this really for me? No, this is for all of us individually. And why is this so important? Why is knowing that he loves us and is with us so important? It's not just because of the danger of doubt, but it's also because of the power of presence. power of God's presence with us. It changes everything. I, I have come to believe that one of, the, one of the most important things for us as Christians is to know that God is with us. Because if we know that God is with us, it changes everything. And it's, it's an awareness of the presence of God. It's, again, not just a mental thing, but to know. Like, I don't have to like, well, yeah, it says Scripture, that, so I'm going to grab onto that. And sometimes maybe that's what it is, but God wants more than that. But to know that God is with us changes everything, changes our perspective. And it changed, I believe this changed Joseph. Because you look at how he responds to slavery and being jailed, and you go, wait a second, what's going on there? And I think this is why over and over again it's repeated in the narration of this story that God is with Joseph. But I think what is happening is God is constantly reminding Joseph, Joseph, I'm with you. Joseph, I love you. It's okay. I know this is hard. I know that you didn't plan for this, but I am with you and I love you. It radically changed how Joseph responded. First of all, when we know that God is with us, it changes our approach to sin. We would be wrong to, to read this passage about Potiphar's wife coming on to Joseph and think, Joseph, like, you know, this was not a temptation for him. That would, this was a temptation. This was a challenge. This was real. But he was able to resist the temptation to sin because he knew that God was with him. You know, it's like the teacher hovering over your shoulder while you're doing the test. Are you going to cheat during that time? <laughs> Probably not, right? Like, oh, I got my notes here. I kind of... Oh, hi, how you doing? No, it's okay. Don't worry about it, right? I mean, no. Like, when we know that God is with us, that's part of the power over sin is we go, oh my gosh, wait, God is here. Paul brings this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he's talking about immorality. And he says, hey, wait, wait, don't you know that you're the temple of God? He is with you. Why are you joining the temple of God with a prostitute? No, no, no. Understand that God is with you. If you understand that he is with you, then sin loses its power over us. We're able to resist temptation. It's not that we never sin again, but it goes a long way in helping us to live out the righteous life that we desire. Because he's there. He's with us. We see this with Joseph. Again, he resists. 
More than that, we see that when we understand that God is with us, we become a lot less worried about our own blessing. Do you realize Joseph is working for this guy Potiphar and he's getting nothing in return except for meal in a shelter? He's not building his wealth. Potiphar's making out like a bandit because God's blessing Joseph. What does Joseph get? Nothing. There is no financial gain. Matter of fact, what he gets is thrown in prison because of a false accusation by Potiphar's wife. Joseph wasn't worried. He wasn't worried about his own wealth. He wasn't worried about getting his own thing. Why? Because he had the presence of God. It's like, you know, if, if you win the lottery, like you're going to worry about, you know, how much you spend on coffee. <laughs> I won't. If you win the lottery, are you worried about giving that away to people in need? If you have the greatest treasure of all, are you concerned if people are robbing you or taking, you, take, you know, taking your stuff, right? Is that going to be a big deal for you? No. We can go, ah, you know what? I don't like it when people rob me or burglarize me, right? Uh, but either way, like, I have the greatest treasure. The things of this earth, what does Matthew 5, 6 say, right? You know, don't store up treasures on earth where... Moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Who is the greatest treasure? Of course, Jesus. When we know he is with us, we don't worry so much about the blessings that we will receive or don't receive in this world. We're willing to be generous, to give it away. We can live like we have an overabundance. Next, when we understand that the that God's presence is with us, we can endure trials and hardship. Again, we see Joseph in slavery, see him in jail. And how does he deal with it, right? I, I mean, the ten tendency would be to bitterness. If you're really frustrated, this isn't fair, right? American mindset and rights, you know? Hey, this is not fair. What are you doing? You can't do this. This is against the law. What? No, this is wrong. We don't see any of that from Joseph. And how do we know there wasn't any there? Because when he gets to Potiphar's place, what does he do? He puts in the effort. He jumps in. He works. He allows God to use him. When he gets to jail, what does he do? Does he sulk? Does he sit in the corner and whine and cry? This isn't beer. No, he just gets in. He's like, okay, this is where I'm at. I'm going to continue. Because he knows God's presence. There's a, um, a ministry that I had heard about. I never did it myself, but I've heard several different young uh, you know, teenagers and even uh, uh, young adults have done uh, where, I don't remember, they have called them different things, but basically they go on the street for a weekend. Like we're going to go and live uh, on the street as like a homeless person. They got nothing, no money. They, they got nothing to just go out and they just live on the street for a weekend. And it, it's great for, you know, being able to, like, connect with, you know, your own wealth and whatnot, but also to connect with what the real-life struggles of people who are on the streets. But there's a great benefit in that. Like, the person that is just doing this, you know, like, they, they realize, like, uh, well, this is just, like, three days. Like, you know, in the back of your mind, like, yeah, this is really hard. And maybe I'm pretty hungry right now. But, like, it's okay, because, like, in a couple of days, I, I get to go back to my house, right? And and I think this is part of when we understand the presence of God with us, 
It's like, dude, I got like a really cool like pearly gate like kingdom that I'm, that's where my house is. So uh, it's, it's really beautiful. It's got like these really nice gold streets and stuff. And it's got this cool tree that, you know, is in river. And, oh man, it's pretty, it's beautiful actually. And you know, it, there's like no crying there. Like nobody's whining or crying. Like it, we're all happy. We're having a good time. Like, you know, when we understand the presence of God is with us, all of a sudden the trials of this world become something lesser, right? This is just like temporary. See, we fight against trials so much because we are too focused on the tangible realities of our world. It's not that they don't matter. They just don't matter the most. And when we understand that we have the risen Savior living within us, it doesn't matter what happens in this world. You know, I struggle to, to describe this, I think, a, a freedom that comes when we understand that every step we take, Jesus is with us, even if that step is into sin, the freedom to know that even that's not going to cause him to leave us is powerful. When we live a life, and even when we follow Jesus, and all of a sudden starts to fall apart, and everything doesn't go the way we thought, we don't have to freak out or worry about it. Because Jesus has not just called us into that mess, he's brought himself with us into that mess. And if he's brought himself, he's brought his goodness, he's brought his love, he's brought his power, he is there in that moment with us. We freak out too often thinking, oh my gosh, I've misstepped, I've misheard God, now he's punishing me. No, 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 Jesus has called you, or maybe he didn't call you. Either way, it doesn't matter, he's with you. And because he's with you, this moment is holy. This moment is powerful. This moment is an opportunity for glory to him and for us to receive the amazing blessing of once again realizing that he is with us. Amen. The reason that God over and over again in Scripture tells us that he is with us and that he loves us is because of the power of God's presence. And the final power that comes is the power to witness to the lost. When Potiphar's wife grabs or, or at least approaches Joseph for the first time, come on, come on, lie with me. Why not? Let's do this. Part of Potiphar's answer is, first of all, well, uh, actually, your husband, um, he, he wouldn't be approving of that. That'd be a bad thing, right? And he's really put a lot of trust in me, and so I don't want to break that trust. But then he also gives witness to his God. And why, he says, would I do such a detestable thing? and disobey my God. When we know and understand that the presence of God is with us, it gives us the ability to give testimony to our friend. See, we too often can, can view evangelism as something that's scary that we're out there doing on our own. No, we always have our friend with us. He's always with us. And more than that, our friend is even better than our best friend in human sense because they'll also give you all the words we need to say in the moment. Right. We don't got to worry like we're going to stumble and mess up. We're not going to stumble and mess up. If we stumble and mess up, he's there with us, but he'll also use our stumble and mess up to bring that person to Christ. 
What? No way. Yes, he can. And so, again, the power of knowing that God is with us inspires our testimony, our evangelism to the lost. Because it's like just having an arm around our best buddy. Hey, let me tell you about my best buddy. They're amazing. So what do we do in times of doubt? I think I'd encourage all of us to go to Scripture and read these testimonies over and over again of where God shows even sinful, deplorable, depraved people. God is with them. Amen. But in times when we are doubting, I think the answer is basically we just need to seek Jesus. When life turns out different than we expect, whether it be a small step or a big step, when it turns out in a way that, wait, no, wait, God, this isn't supposed to be your way. This is not how I saw it going in my mind. And we begin to doubt, doubt whether his character is one of love and goodness for us or doubt whether we've actually heard him or not. Or maybe, you know, I just, I don't know what I'm, when we get those moments of doubt, seek Jesus. Go to him. Get on our knees before him, even if you don't feel like it. Resist the temptation by seeking Jesus. Look for his assurance. Ask him, Lord, where are you in this? I don't see you right now. I don't feel your presence right now. Why? What is going on? Speak. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. The reason the doubt is dangerous is because when we begin to doubt, we begin to take a step away from God. But if in the midst of doubt, we can, instead of stepping from him, we choose to step towards him, he will heal our souls, right? He'll heal our doubt. He will help us to see once again his character, to once again know his voice. One other thing I think we can do when times of doubt come is I think we need to to dream bigger. My 15, 16-year-old self had a dream of what my life was going to look like and how it was going to go as the Lord called me into being a pastor. It did not turn out anything like that. The road I walked was super windy and filled with a bunch of potholes, and I messed up more times than I can count and continue to mess up. But what I realize now on this further end, and we're not even done yet. I'm, I still got a lot of life left, right? Um, what I realize now is that vision that I had as a teenager, those expectations I had of what it was going to be like were nothing in comparison to what reality ended up being. I cannot believe through the trial and through the sorrow, through the struggle, through the pain, through the foolishness and the sinfulness, what God has allowed me to be a part of, how he's walked with me through it all, and it's been so much greater 
than I ever imagined it would be. I think we dream too little. Our dreams are too easy. We need to dream bigger. Don't expect just this little thing like, oh, look what I'm going to do here. No, no, no. Let's dream bigger. Let's look further. Expectations greater because we have a great God. And it's not that, you no, know, the whole world's going to know our name. That's not what I mean by greater. That's smaller, actually. Dreaming bigger in his kingdom and what he can do. It's amazing. All right, worship team, come on up. There's no doubt that uh, the expectations that we have are going to be eventually lead to a disappointment. It's going to be a time when we think that something's coming, that it doesn't turn out that way in our mind's eye. And when doubt comes, we need to recognize that that's a natural thing. Don't be afraid of it, but also don't stay there. In the times of doubt is when we need to seek Jesus all the more. Don't allow yourself to dwell in that time of doubt. Just like we don't dwell in shame or guilt, we don't dwell in doubt. We seek Jesus through his word, through being around other Christians who know Jesus, and through time on our knees in his presence, asking him to reveal himself to us so that we can know he's with us. Be reminded of that and encouraged by that. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand and uh, we'll sing a song or two, and then we'll close the service. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your amazing faithfulness to us. Lord, thank you that you are with us everywhere we go. Lord, that you have called us to all kinds of things. Sometimes they're going to be a lot of fun. Sometimes they're going to be really hard. But no matter what it is, you have promised that you are with us. So, Lord, thank you for just who you are and for loving us and for being with us and for desiring for us to know that reality, especially in times of doubt. Psalm 27, 1 to 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, and whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up high upon a rock. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Church, if you'd like prayer this morning for healing, or maybe you're in one of those times where it's a struggle, hasn't turned out the way you thought, and you're struggling with doubt, please come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week.